This is Katie Prejean McGrady, and this is Ave Explores. So just about a week ago, there was a beatification um, celebration, uh, a mass in Assisi, Italy, to beatify one of the newest and youngest blesseds of the church, Carlo Actuis. I think I'm saying that correctly. I'm not Italian. Um, Blessed Carlo uh, died as a teenager, um, was a remarkable young man of faith. He was creating a website. That's right. You read that and heard that correctly. A website because he is a millennial. He and I are of the same age, which is crazy to think about. He was creating a website of um, Eucharistic miracles. Uh, He played video games. He collected Pokemon cards. His miracle for beatification is pretty remarkable. He, um, his mother, he appeared to his mother to let her know that she would have um, more children. She'd, she'd not been able to conceive uh, again. He died. He then appeared to his mother, told her that she would uh, conceive children, and um, she did. And she now has twin children, uh, a son and a daughter. It's a remarkable story, and I'm telling it very poorly uh, because it's, it is kind of so overwhelming, and I highly encourage you to go look up Blessed Carlo uh, because it really is such an incredible witness to faith. But I was watching the beatification uh, on EWTN last weekend, um, and I, I thought to myself, I was like, this is crazy that this 15-year-old kid dies and now, in 2020, is beatified. Like, what, how did that even happen? And if you think about it, I mean, how does anybody get beatified? How does anybody get canonized? Who calls up the Pope and says, hey, this guy that I live next door to was really, really holy. He should be a saint. Like, what does that look like? And what is the process? Now, here at the start of the Ave Explorer series, we're three episodes in, so we're still very early on in this season. We really wanted to look at the nuts and the bolts of canonization, of beatification, Uh, What does it mean to be a servant of God? What does it mean to be venerable? How do you submit a miracle? Who advocates for this individual person's life to even be looked at? What's the the rundown on how people become official, capital S, saints? And as I was thinking about answering those questions, the only person I really wanted to talk to was my good friend, Doug Took. Doug um, researches this kind of thing. It's kind of his, uh, his hobby and his job that he does a deep dive the same way we like to do a deep dive into stories and really unpack a topic for a whole season. Doug likes to take a one-off topic. So monks or monks that make beer or the reformation or relics, uh, canonizations, weird saints, intense saints. He likes to take these random topics, research them, and then tell the story in his podcast, the Renovo podcast. So I called up Doug. I said, Doug, I want to do a Renovo podcast on Ave Explorers. I'm going to grill you with a bunch of questions. He said, let's do it. And that's the show that you're going to listen to today. Ave Explores um, The Saints, this new series that we are launching today, October the 21st. You can get all of the content that we've created, videos, articles, other podcast episodes, social media exclusives, where we're really looking at who the saints are and why the saints matter and why the saints should be a part of your life. I really think you'll enjoy the series. I really think that you should sign up for it. I I think everybody should sign up for it. But I think if you're listening to this episode today, you want to learn something about the saints. Doug's going to teach you, and this whole series is going to help you. So please join us. Go to AveMariaPress.com. Sign up. Right up at the top, you'll get the emails every week. And today, we're going to take a deep dive into how a saint becomes a saint and why and what that looks like. 
and why it matters to us, and in the end, how that story can help us become holy. So without further ado, my good friend, Doug Took. Doug, well, thanks, for, thanks for joining us on Ave Explorers. It's my pleasure, sincerely. It's, it's nice to see you. Doug and I are friends for, for listeners. Close friends. Uh, my husband will be coming to hang out after this interview is done. In the room. I'm just sad I don't get to see Katie's plump tummy because I haven't well, gotten to see I'm, her plump tummy. I am hiding. Yeah. Yeah. At the time that we're recording this, it's the day before I have the baby. So oh, wowza. the belly is, is almost gone. Um, but Doug, where are you coming from? For those folks who might not know who you are, who are you and why are you sitting in a mysterious black room? <laughs> so I am in, uh, I'm in ODB Film Studio West. Uh, out here in Helena, Montana, which is where we record our podcast and some other PSAs and marketing film. Um, our offices are in St. Charles, Illinois, but I get to live in Helena, Montana, which is beautiful. I love it here. It's a pleasure. And what is ODB Films? I mean, what do you guys do? Outside the Box Films <laughs> uh, was uh, basically pioneered in 2005 by Eric Groth and his wife, Becky Groth. Um, over 200 short films uh, in 2015. Eric was invited into the feature space with Full of Grace, a release that we made about our mother, Mary. And then in 2018, Sony Affirm took an interest in a script we had for the Apostle Paul, and we made Paul the Apostle of Christ. So ODB Films make shorts. We make um, feature films, all kinds of ministry assets, um, and I'm the vice president of, of, the, of the company. Um, and we stay plenty busy. This is an age of digital media, so we are, uh, we're swimming in the digital media space, which is fun. Yeah, I mean, you guys have some really cool projects going on currently. The the OSV Innovation Talks, yeah. uh, the most recent Paul movie that was the big feature film. 2018, yeah. Yep, that was the big one. We've got about three feature films brewing right now, and Ooh. I'm not allowed to talk about a lot of details. That's okay. <laughs> but we're also, we're also getting into television. So there's, oh. there's a whole other chapter there that's going to open up for ODB Films, and I am ecstatic about the opportunity. So that's awesome. Big, now, but you, know. you didn't start off like when you were 18 years old, you didn't know that one day you'd work for a Catholic film company. Where, what's, what's a little bit of like Doug Took's journey? Your oh, story, mercy. How, this how much time you got? Came. How much oh, whiskey I mean, do you have? It's a long form <laughs> podcast. Don't worry. <laughs> Think NPR's, uh, you know, uh, Terry Gross. What's nice. your choice? Yeah. I like it. I like it. Uh, no, I was, a, I was just kind of a punk youth group kid, uh, Irish Catholic mom. Um, speech and debate like yourself. Uh, I thought that was the only way I was going to get into college. Did not enjoy high school very much. And um, yeah, no, I, I ended up going to Carroll College in Helena, Montana. I met my wife there um, and I discovered theology and philosophy and I kind of never went back. You know, I mean, once, once that happened, I fell, into, I fell into ministry. I didn't know that you could be a youth minister uh, in the Catholic Church um, and be paid for it, which you really aren't paid that much anymore. But I made a 25-year career of it, um, went from parish, went to the Archdiocese of Seattle for a while, came back, did clustered youth ministry, nine parishes in a 200-mile radius. Uh, and then the bishop kind of tapped me on the shoulder and said, would you be my diocesan director? I did that for 10 years, was a director of formation for a diocese. And then, uh, and then a couple of organizations asked for help, and I decided to leave that space. And one of those organizations was ODB Films, and, and then the relationship was really cemented um, and I found myself kind of being a ministry advisor to them and then just kind of climbed the ranks quickly um, to be sitting at the table in production and writing and 
um, recruiting and creating and soliciting sales and building collaborations. And, you know, when you think about it, youth ministry is really good marketing. Mm-hmm. And that's, I kind of brought that to the table and uh, Eric Groth, the executive director of uh, executive um, president of, of, of ODB comes out of youth ministry as well. So we had that kind of kinship and then we were able to translate that into, into great media creation, which is fun. Yeah. I mean, and it's good stuff. We'll link everything down in the show notes, but one of the, the works that y'all do, which is really a gift because podcasts are, are just put out there into the world is Renovo, which I swear Thanks. you live in my house. Cause my husband does the dishes to Renovo podcast ah, in the background. And I like, it's like, Oh, monks. Oh, beer. Oh, cask. Like I, I hear <laughs> clips of all, cause he, my husband's a dork and he loves to learn. And so do I, I listen to oh, that's fun. Which hasn't happened for a long time, but one of the one of the things you do is the Renovo podcast. So tell us a little bit about that, and then I'll tell folks what we're planning on doing with this episode. I love it. Yeah, we do two podcasts. We do a podcast called Two Minute Takes, which is on Sirius XM 129. It's a 90 second podcast that reviews films, and it's way harder than Renovo, which is a 20 minute ish podcast that really just tries to very thematically dig into a topic. Um, I was really inspired. I was inspired in like 2016. I think we started that uh, 2017. I can't remember um, to just take s- ideas and give simple explanations. You and I have talked about podcasting before. I think a lot of podcasting, it's more about like, I've got something to say, and then this is going to be my platform for saying it. It's almost like the new blogosphere, mm-hmm. which is kind of a bummer because I think that podcasting is a brilliant teaching mechanism. So I was always, I always tried to stay really true to here's the idea Let's learn about it. Stained glass, pews, uh, ambos. And then we've gotten into some deep shows. Um, and I like it. And also, I think there's something to say for, for 20 minutes. I think that yeah. when you can, you know, for, you know the, idea, the idea behind that was like, go for a run. Yep. Go for a walk. Your commute. Um, keep it simple. Keep it easy. And, uh, yeah, we're knocking on almost 200 episodes, which is exciting. So Yeah. It's, it's I great. mean, again, we're big fans in our house. Um, if I was still in the classroom and for any teachers that are listening, it would be like the weekly assignment. Listen to this. Oh, fun. And questions you have to answer. So take that teachers. But one of your episodes, one of your very early episodes was about the saints and not just it like, is. Oh, saints are great. We love them. Hang their pictures on their wall. But like the nitty gritty of how do we make a saint? Do right. we make saints? How do they become a saint? Like this whole process. So here at the start of, of this Ave Explorer season, we wanted to pick your brain because you did the research. So I'm saving myself the trouble of having oh, I to love go it. Google everything. That's what Renovo is all about, Katie. You, That's yeah, perfect. You've it's created the cliff notes so, of the Catholic Church. Exactly. It's the spark notes yeah. of theology for our listeners, kind of Saints 101. Like, what love does it, it mean? Um, so let's start kind of from the top. And I didn't, I didn't give you these questions ahead of time because I kind of wanted to quiz you. Um, I like that. But for, for full disclosure, he's not like on a timer or anything, folks. Like if we have to edit things, well, like let's define from the get-go, what is the communion of saints and why do we call it the communion of saints and not just folks in heaven? Ooh, I like that question. Uh, There's about 10,000, you know, saints slash beati or the beatified, um, which is awesome. Um, Some of them are still kind of legendary. Well, I'm sure we'll talk more about that later on, but um, when we use the word communion, it means oneness, commune. And I think it's gorgeous that the Roman Catholic uh, expression says, hey, lay person, four rows back, three seats in. You're in communion with those that have gone before you. So there's this beautiful relationship, obviously, with, with our Lord. And then, of course, his mother, the queen of saints. But 
people just like us, you and me, our husbands and wives, um, we, we struggle for holiness. Uh, and these are people who have exemplified holiness and that we believe to be in heaven. So when we say communion, we mean we're one with, there's a likeness of our humanity with those that have gone before us and exemplified holiness. That's pretty gorgeous. I mean, I, you know, I, I'm preaching to the choir, but I mean, like that's, that's pretty amazing to talk about. It's one thing to say, let's remember our ancestors. That's different than we can be holy mm-hmm. and there's a oneness with 10,000 plus holy people that have gone before us. I like that. I like that element. It strengthens our prayer, I think. Yeah. When we're going to dig into the prayer side, but so it's this oneness with these, these sanctus, right? These holy men and women who you know, just like us, walked the earth and lived and challenged, struggled. They, they, they diverse stories. Um, do you have a favorite within that Oof. communion? Oof. I know that's kind of out of order. Not fair. Like, come on. I'm Not just fair. <laughs> do, you? do you? Could you name one? Um, I mean, oh, Teresa Lazou's my girl. I, that's powerful. I just, yeah. like, I feel like everybody has a connection to like a, yeah. a sibling saint, but favorite well, is hard. Yeah. Okay, I'll tell you this. Um, so my, my youngest is Gwendolyn uh, Therese, and it's Therese Lesu. Mm. It was near her feast day. Um, so my confirmation name is Gabriel. So uh, the angels as saints is kind of like a sketchy cop-out. But, <laughs> but at the same time, um, he was the messenger. Mm-hmm. And at a, young, at a young age, when I was like 16, I, I, I was really um, thankful for the ability to be able to communicate well. And, uh, and as you know, and you do this too, it's really kind of like, found a place in my experience of Lake Leeds ministry. Mm-hmm. So I still, I really cling to Gabriel as this messenger, as a great messenger. And I ask for his, uh, his strength and his eloquence. Yeah. Um, so I think, I think that's, you know, that's pretty close, but I'll tell you what, me and St. Catherine have been pretty close. Like the last couple, yeah. the last couple years. Are you knocking yeah, on just, Bishop's doors and telling him what to do? Uh, I just really love her conviction um, St. Rita and I have been really close because of the impossibleness, like that word impossible started to get thrown at me a lot. And Rita's all about nothing's impossible. Mm-hmm. And I like that. Um, so yeah, no, that's a tough one. Oof. It I'm going to go with Gabriel. I'm going to go with Gabriel, but you've heard my piece. You've, I've spoken my piece there. Well, yeah. And, yeah. and I, that was purposeful because the it's big. There's just so oh, much. Oh my gosh. Weird. Yeah. And yeah. you you will never run out of saints to learn about um, right? because we just, we keep making them. So let's dig into that. I die tomorrow and this is not going to happen, but uh, I'm not even going to use myself as an example. There's some very holy people that I know. If they were to die tomorrow, what would, what would it look like if I were to say, I think this person's a saint. How do we make them that? Like what's step yeah. in this yeah. canonization process? So what's neat about that is that it's all local to start with. So it's all very local. Um, obviously, in the Catholic Church, um, the local leadership, the, the highest end of the local leadership is the bishop, um, their episcopacy, that they're, they're really in charge of the, the holiness of the people in their episcopacy. And so a campaign is started uh, by, by probably, you know, the local parish community or people that you know, and, they, and they're saying, hey, bishop, pay attention. This young woman is amazing. Um, here's what you need to know about her. And the bishop can decide to essentially kind of like investigate their life. Uh, maybe their writings, you know, if you, to make sure writings are orthodox, which means right teaching, you know, it doesn't mean right or left. It means, you know, right teaching. Um, 
and then and then see where it goes. Uh, usually, it's a couple years mm-hmm. after death to gain perspective on the impact of their life. Um, but sometimes it's quick. I mean, let's you know, Benedict and JP too. That was pretty quick. Mm-hmm. But that was also a pretty famous person, you know. Right. So there was a lot of perspective uh, and a lot of writing that was already considered orthodox. Um, and then after that, uh, the, the, the bishop can essentially instigate a, 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 a formal, yes, Katie rocks. This is going to be a good thing. And then it goes off to Rome and Got a it. panel of theologians and an office, uh, the Congregation for the Causes of Saints in Rome uh, reads, your, reads the bishop's uh, you know, campaign notes. Mm-hmm. And then they start to go and then they assign what's called a devil's advocate um, to, to, to critique your life, to ask hard questions about faith, which has halted the canonization process for a number of people. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then, and then it, it becomes approved eventually by the Pope to say, yeah, you bet. Absolutely. Usually that takes a pretty long time. Now that process, by the way, this is kind of fun. That process in its formality was, uh, was created by St. John Paul II in 1983. Really? So actually that's a pretty new, that discipline sequence is actually pretty new. Mm. Um, there was, there was a, there was some revisiting of canonization in like 1969. There was a formal process declared in the 15th century, but really JP two kind of are kind of articulated like, okay, let's do this right. Mm-hmm. And of course we, most of us know that St. John Paul II canonized like a ton yeah. of people. So it was really important to him to name a lot of saints. And I think he wanted to cross his T's and dots his eyes. Like he wanted to make sure that um, this process was golden. A famous example of someone who who did not get out of committee uh, recently. This is only last year or two years ago. Is G.K. Chesterton really? So, so the local bishop, G.K. Chesterton's local bishop, officially uh, accepted the, mm-hmm. the 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 folklore of him and uh, and then said no. So, from a bishop at a bishop level, now that could be surpassed. He obviously has a massive amount of following, and I, I love G.K. But I guess, you know, some things kind of surfaced and that was kind of that. Yeah. Um, It's also at a local level that venerable um, Fulton Sheen, um, that that process was halted. That was done at a local level. Um, Mm -hmm. So just things to think about in the the modern process. Yeah. Now you're using a term venerable. There's kind of like these stages, right? Like a person that initially declared a servant of God, then venerable, then blessed, and then they're canonized. And that can take decades. I mean, there there are people in the process now in the States Sister Thea Bowman, uh, Blessed yep. Stanley Rother. I mean, we could yep. be dead before those people become canonized individuals. Most likely will be, yeah. Can you, can you walk me through some of these stages? Like, what, what does it take to be a servant of God? And then you get to that venerable sure. stage, and then you've got to have a miracle. Yep. So venerable, beatified, canonized. Mm-hmm. Um, so the VBC, beatified means blessed, like you said. Um, it can go fast. You can be venerable than beatified. Uh, what's her, um, St. Maria or, or Sister Maria uh, Minetti, yeah. Minetti the, yeah. the, woman, the nun who was, was murdered in, in 2000, um, was declared an official martyr June 6th, uh, 2020, and is scheduled to be um, beatified next year, June 6th. So it can be fast like that. It can be like venerable beatified and it's expected that she'll be canonized in our lifetime because she was declared a martyr. I probably should have said that Katie, like martyrdom kind of throws the whole system off. Right. Um, if you die for Jesus. Mar- martyr- yeah. Martyrdom is kind of like, you know, there's still a process. There's still a desire for the miraculous. Uh, mm-hmm. Something we didn't really talk about. We look for the first and second miracle. Um, 
from folk, folks that have kind of invoked their name in the context of prayer, uh, many of which have had these experiences. And then those are, of course, investigated, which takes time. But venerable, beatified, canonized is the process. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, why, that's why Teresa of Calcutta, that's why that was such an extraordinary. Mm-hmm. That was a real, I don't think people realize how much of an exception to right. the rule that was. You know, that JP2 was, and St. Yeah. Teresa, that was pretty quick. I mean, what, I mean that was, was really, five years, St. Teresa, or yeah, St. Teresa of Calcutta. Why am I saying blessed? Yeah. I was so used yeah. to saying blessed because there was a few I know. Years where, you know, that's who she was. And it was just kind of this assumption, oh, she'll be blessed forever. Yep. And then, nope, like yep. that happened quickly. Venerable to blessed, you need one miracle. So let's talk about the yep. miracle side. Yeah. Um, what like what kind of a miracle does it have to be a miracle of healing can it be a i mean those are usually pretty tactile they can be investigated bonnie ingstrom who's coming on our show will tell the story of her son being the miracle for for venerable fulton sheen eventually that's mm-hmm. been investigated and proven let's talk about that mm-hmm. a little bit what does it look like i think i've had a miracle who do i call yeah i mean you go local uh and, and a lot of times it is healing sometimes it's apparition although apparition is quite a bit more rare um Almost always, it's it's a it's a bodily healing, um, a provable healing. Um, the final miracle for Saint uh, Kateri Tekakwitha was in Seattle, Washington, not that long ago. She was canonized not that long ago. It's actually a nun that lives in Montana that was present and brought the relic of Kateri to the to the room to the hospital room, and was was there. Uh, I got to meet her. She told me all about it. Um, you, you, you bring the case to the bishop. I know that sounds kind of silly. Take it to the magisterium. You know, I mean, right. it seems kind of weird. But, I mean, you know, quite frankly, I love this about our church. We trust in the local leadership of the church Process. to navigate um, ecclesial and canonical matters. And that's what this would be. I mean, it would be like, hey, let's, let's investigate. And they do. And, mm-hmm. and, a, and a bishop will say, okay, let's interview the people. Let's really test the faith of the people, what, what's going on here. And I got to tell you, I think that's kind of awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, I, th- I think that could be kind of cr- criticized as being a little bit institutional, but like if there's a lot of people out there kind of saying a lot of kooky things. So if you don't really, if you don't really press on it mm-hmm. and investigate it, I think when you make a declaration, Hey, this person is a saint in heaven. Um, you're, you're going to have a real flimsy foundation. So the fact that the Roman Catholic faithful are like, no, man, listen, this is the real deal. She had cancer. She doesn't have it anymore. Right. Her medical file literally says unexplainable curing, mm-hmm. um, those kinds of things that is going to lead to, that's going to become, that's going to become the miracle. That's going to be what it is. I hope you're enjoying this conversation with Doug Took about the nuts and bolts, the ins and outs of sanctification and how a person becomes a saint. If this intrigues you and if you like talking about the saints, I encourage you to go over to AveMariaPress.com, click the link up at the top. You'll be able to put in your email and you'll get all of the Ave Explorers content right to your email inbox every week for the next few weeks. Podcasts, videos, articles, you name it, we have it. AveMariaPress.com. Back to the show. Almost always it's healing. I mean, almost always. I'm trying to think of like an example of when it wouldn't be. And I, I you know, like a, like a laying down of arms, mm-hmm. like a, you know, something like that where like a moment of violence is halted. Mm-hmm. Um, many people credited Teresa of Calcutta with that. Um, but, I, you know, most of the time it's bodily yeah. of some kind. Yeah. When there's something really beautiful about the fact that it is bodily, because like you said at the beginning, we're in communion. That doesn't just mean they're like floating on clouds and we're down here. Like there's active right. engagement to resolve you. I want to spend my head right. doing good on earth. Um, right. To get from beatified to canonized, it's usually at least one more. Uh, didn't Francis yep. recently change that? It used to be two more. Yep. Now it's just one more. So two miracles. Yeah. It's, it's usually one more. Um, 
I can't, I, 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 it's almost always one more miracle to lead to canonization. Mm -hmm. The difference, the shift there, of course, is once a person is beatified, they become quite a bit more popular. Mm -hmm. So a lot of more, a lot more people learn about them and there's probably a lot more language and, and, uh, and, um, invocation Mm -hmm. of their name, pure Giorgio Fursati. Right. Uh, really popular. It got really popular. Mm-hmm. Like youth ministry kind of grabbed a hold of him. Now he's like a household name. I mean, yeah. that launched his canonization forward because everybody's invoking him. Um, right. Cause he's great. You know, he's patron saint of mountain climbers for crying. Yeah. <laughs> when St. Bernard. Um, so I, that's, I think because of the beatification, you, you, a lot of times you'll see that next miracle fairly quickly, but of course the process, so it should take a long time. It just right. takes a long time. But and it still comes down to the Pope. Like you mentioned this, this devil's advocate and everybody always uses that term and like debating on Facebook. I'll play devil's advocate. What's the role of that person within this congregation of saints? Yeah, literally to scrutinize. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, they, they are, uh, (laughs) I shouldn't say this, but they're basically the grand inquisitor. I mean, there's someone, someone who's going to ask the most difficult questions. Well, you called that a cure, but really she had already gone through a bunch of chemo and it's clear that she was in remission. So how are you calling, you know, they're supposed to be the person who very much uh, argues against the supernatural and is going to, and is going to use wit and wisdom to, to be able to decry the, 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 the naming of a miracle. And that's a good thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, that's, that's a good thing. That's what, that's what we should be doing um, for a lot of reasons. One, because, uh, the church is not interested in a in a fight with religion and science. That's preposterous. Right. So let's let's steep our feet right in the middle of it and say, well, let's what is supernatural and what's natural. Um, the, certainly, the the proven language of Eucharistic miracles has has subjected itself to the scrutiny of devil's advocate. Wait a minute, what is this? Where did it come from? How did that get there? And a lot of fakeness mm-hmm. has been surfaced. Yeah. Uh, the healing waters of Our Lady of Lords. A lot of people have claimed healings but really only, only 70 have been approved. And that's because of that scrutiny to say, no, 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 wait a minute. This isn't, that's, I know you think that that, that is, but this is actually this. So you have really high thinking scientists and, and theologians that are able to get to the bottom of it. That, that, I think that's great. Like that. Yeah. Yeah. That I mean, says, I'd rather the bar be set high and Absolutely. we know that like, okay, these are real and legit as opposed to, and there's, I mean, a little bit, we can dig into it. There's a little bit of controversy around like why venerable Folsom Sheen's beatification was just, kind of out of nowhere put on hold and it wasn't right. scrutiny about the miracle it was scrutiny about we don't want scandal in the event that That's things right. come out from this diocese even though he has That's been right. he's above the board right like it's he's yep. been approved we don't yep. want to fight with the world we don't want the bad press and yep. i mean people can have different opinions about that but i i generally tend to agree with the church wants to play it safe um yeah because we we ask people to hang their pictures on the wall. We want people to wear their their medals and name their kids Seriously. after them, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Now let's pivot for a second, then, Doug. There's this long history, ten thousand plus. I mean, I we there's the greats that we all know the names of. There's the American ones that are in the process. But there are some fake saints. <laughs> I don't want to say fake. Oh saints, yeah. But there's some legends. Um, oh, I remember. Yeah. Seeing, I think I scandalized a classroom of freshmen one time when I said, St. Christopher is not really real. And this one kid <laughs> whose name is Christopher, I wasn't named after someone fake. And it, I mean, it became, oh, yeah. let's talk about some of the legend and the lore. Cause that's, that's an element yeah. of our Catholicism that we can't ignore entirely. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. So originally, I mean, within hundred AD uh, uh, martyrs, there were a lot of martyrs. Mm-hmm. And uh, within, by the fourth century, we were naming churches after people. So very early on, um, we were 
embracing the Jewish tradition of, of um, holy sites based on names. And it was important to Christianity to lift up those names. Um, and what happens, like anything, read your European history, is there's heroic, uh, there's the heroic nature of people and that the legend uh, outlives the person and the legend certainly outlives the facts. Um, so what was found uh, in 1969, there was a huge reform. And what was, fa- as they investigated a lot of legendary saints and, and it was like, there's more legend than fact. Mm-hmm. Uh, so St. Christopher walking across the river, you know, a child on his shoulders becomes really heavy, carrying the weight of the world. Um, that there was no language to solidify who this man even was. Mm-hmm. And so his cult, and I don't mean cult in a weird way, Mm-mm. his following right. um, was really kind of like, hey, by the way, we're going to remove him from the official place of sainthood because we just don't know if this guy was even real. Um, the critique of that is, that, well, then how dare you call uh, an angel a saint? Right. Michael and Raphael and Gabriel and whatnot. The challenge there is that you have a, a firm scriptural background and you can allude to a tradition that actually upholds that these, the presence of these folks is, is not fabricated. Mm-hmm. St. Ursula is another one. And Ursula's cult was actually halted. So mm-hmm. Ur- Ur- from the 69 reform, St. Ursula was like, it was like, no, this is like just wrong. Uh, the Buddha, uh, the Buddha was said to have migrated West and was held, um, in, in, in regard by certain uh, local communities as a saint that was dispelled. So for St. Christopher on a local level, there's still the St. Christopher festival. There's still some, some carriage, yeah. but the church universal is not proclaiming. Um, yeah. There's not a feast day for him. He's not on the calendar. There's not a feast day. Right. Um, and I think that's kind of cool. Again, it goes back to the beginning of our conversation, like relying on the local lore to mm-hmm. support, you know what I mean? Like, Hey, this is, yeah. this is our guy. Cause locally, this is what we know. Church isn't going to say, no, you're all a bunch of liars, a bunch of hicks, a bunch of rural idiots. They're going to say, you know, that's your thing. But we, we don't see, we don't regard that story right. as being in such high elevation. Um, what ama- what's amazing about some of those reforms is that, is that St. Nicholas mm. is probably more of a heroic figure than actually originally he was given credit for. Mm-hmm. So some of that deep investigation didn't um, dispel lore there are some legendary stories but it actually upheld the fact that this guy was like a power player mm-hmm, in the mm-hmm. church at the time of of the council of nicaea right so like the, I, stuff like that i think is really cool so the process mm-hmm. of scrutiny has actually led to the dispelling of superstition but also the upholding of what you know we know that some legend is is founded in truth and let's find out what that is i think that's a pretty cool process yeah well in saint nicholas you know the story is that he punched Arius, right? Like he was the right. Bring it on, or smacked him. Um, But then there's also like you can go to his grave and hear the story about how his body body was fought over back and forth, and and oh yeah, can get oil from the grave that that I mean I have some, but it's like a souvenir you can buy at the gift shop. (laughs) You get Saint Nicholas oil, and we put it up on the mantle at Christmas time, and it's a little weird to think that we've got like bone juice from Santa Claus, but Hey, it's a Catholic thing. And like, that's (laughs) bring it on. It's a we we're, we're kind of, and I love that, that. I mean, that's part of why we wanted this episode at the start is like, there's some weirdness there. Like we have, oil or we have you mentioned the word relics let's talk can you oh, define what a relic thing. is for yeah. me like why do people carry yeah. hair and bones and and pieces of clothing of the saints what's what's that all about well that's a big one uh we did a show on that that's a pretty controversial topic uh I mean, it's where we get the word bonfire. I mean, a lot of people know that is because the saints were burned. I mean, the early Christians were burned and then the, the followers would wait for the, the fire to subside and the crowds to break away and they would run. 
and grab the bones of, of the murdered. St. Polycarp's bones were mm-hmm. retrieved from his death. Um, and that they were considered holy because they're holy people. Like, you know, these are saints. Uh, certainly Christians were not, it wasn't magic or voodoo. I mean, like the body, the soul has departed. Mm-hmm. But, you know, Peter's, Peter's bones are, are considered very holy. Um, a wonderful book that everybody should, uh, uh, should read, I th- The Fisherman's Grave, Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, which is about the discovery of Peter's actual bones. Mm-hmm. So it was thought, uh, you know, in the early church, not only in Rome, but across all of the, in the Middle East and Northern Africa, when, Saint, when holy people died, their bones were brought to the places of worship. And of course, when the Christians were hiding in Rome, they were saying mass in the crypts, you know, over the tops of the bones. When Peter died, of course, he was, he was buried where a number of Roman pagans had been buried in a garden that was for Nero's mom, and eventually they, 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 there was a reason why Christians were going there and they were vandalizing these mm-hmm. Roman stones. And of course, the, the St. Peter's Basilica came above it. It's a fascinating story. A true relic is, 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 the, is, the, is the remains or, or the, um, the treasure of, of, a, of a holy person. And I think it's amazing that for all of time, and this goes back to the first century, early Christians have celebrated those things as being connected to the holiness of that person. And I think it goes back to your first question. It, it's that longing that we have for communion with the saints. Um, it also gets taken to extreme angles and is weird because it became political. Mm-hmm. I have St. Nicholas's arm. You don't. My basilica is more holy than yours. Mm-hmm. And so princes and kings and leaders would battle over the the venerability of their sacred space Mm -hmm. and it became kind of a pissing match and there was there was relic controversy and so naturally the church as it expanded it had to kind of come up with a way to prove or decipher what was holy and what wasn't there was also racketeering so if Mm -hmm. i if i proclaimed to have uh the bones of mary uh, and I wanted to sell those, I'm going to make a lot of money. So like, and, and certain Christians uh, are going to be like, oh, I must have the, you know, that must be real. I'm going to go spend a lot of money on that. And that's broken. There's also a lot of critique of like St. Helena of the Cross. I mean, like she mm-hmm. goes to the Holy Land. She, she finds these incredible things. You take that however you want. It's, maybe she did. I don't know. I don't know. I'm not saying she didn't. We don't, the church hasn't actually officially like declared that either. But like we know that the power of her declaring those relics mm-hmm. established a kinship with the Holy Land through Christian West that really kind of planted a seed that became the Crusades. So yeah. like, the, so like, relics are powerful yeah. um, because we want to be connected to heavenly things. Yeah. I mean, we put one in the altar of every church. You can't have the altar without the relic. Um, that's right. You know, people carry that's, them. That's an ancient tradition. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. People carry them with them. Um, I would imagine most Catholics probably don't even know what St. Relic is in their parish altar, but it's important to know. And it's, it's, yeah. I think it's a cool connective point. And there's all these different uh, first class, like it's the, it's a piece of their body, second class, yeah. something that they would have worn third class touch to a first class, like all these, yep. you know, there's all these different levels. We'll put that episode down in the show notes for folks to go learn and listen to. Um, right. I'm trying, I'm thinking to myself like, okay, there's so much more that we can go into, but Renovo podcast. <laughs> I know we, we just about one. stepped into a Eucharistic theology conversation. Have, there. So like, <laughs> um, I guess at the end, Doug, my, my invitation uh, to you then is all of this technical talk saints 101, like this, these are the people that declare a saint and this is the conversation we have. And here's ultimately why it's 
from the outside looking in, a non-Catholic might look at Catholics and say, okay, this is legalistic nonsense. Just, you know, people died. That's kind of cool. They're praying for you, whatever. And we have a whole episode on the intercession of the saints coming up soon. But sure, it, from the outside looking in, this might seem weird. At the end of the day, Catholics care about saints because they are a model of holiness for us. What do you think in 2020, which has been a crazy year, <laughs> in a world where people are fraught, and dialogue is difficult. And even within the church, there seem to be these factions that are developing. What does holiness look like? And and why should I look to saints to help me actually discern how to be holy? Oh, that's good. Uh, so I read a blog about a week ago, eh, maybe a little more than that, two, two or three weeks ago, that I thought was the worst thing I've ever read. Um, <laughs> and their, their name will remain unnamed. And they said the the premise of the blog was the church's word for, the church's word for perfect is holiness, and I and I it literally made me gag, and I thought that is the most preposterous misdefinition of the word holiness I've ever read. If you think being holy or striving for holiness is striving for perfection, um, you are gravely mistaken. Uh, I, I think that that's a, that's, that's not, that was not what the relationship was intended to be. When Matthew five says, be perfect as your father is perfect. It's St. Paul who unpacks that in Romans 12. And he says, no, it's his will. Mm-hmm. It's, it's good and pleasing and perfect will to do his will. Only God's perfect. Thank God for Eucharist, literally, that we can bring that into our bodies. We're a mess. We're a train wreck. This is why Pope Francis calls the church a field hospital. We're triage is the methodology of ministry. So holiness for us is a pursuit that's only made possible by the perfection that is our Lord. And of course, there's Eucharistic conversation there, but then there's a behavioral conversation there too, is by our actions and our deeds, by what our mind and our words. I think holiness is exactly what we ought to be doing. And I think that we're pretty crappy at it. Um, I think that we're, some of us are inspired, certainly by the saints, but some of us are also kind of exhausted. Um, my good friend, Robert Fiducia, who's a mutual friend of yours, um, he has a great kind of contention, which is, is like Christ told us to be teachers, preachers, and healers. And we have focused on the teaching part for the last three centuries. Hmm. And maybe it's time to focus on the preaching and the healing part, or at least step forward from the foundation of what we know to be Jesus Christ, to preach his name and to trust that he's also a healer. I mean, is there a time when the world needs healing more than now? Um, and I think he's right. And I think that that's, that's, the, that's the sort of the conduit for, for holiness. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're supposed to be good teachers of the faith, which means we should know our stuff. But we're also supposed to be preachers and healers. The smart, I, I'm, not converted by, I'm not converted by a great theologian. I'm mm-hmm. just simply not. No. Um, and I've heard some great speakers, but they're not converting me. But when someone is, is genuinely allowing the spirit to flow through them or trust so wholeheartedly in the Lord who created the universe is also present in the midst of our prayer, and they're able to exemplify that, through their personal spirituality. Now I am taken, my breath is taken away mm. by their personal witness. That's holiness. Um, there's a lot of angry blogs. There's a lot of bad podcasts. There's a lot of pharisaical Catholics that think that holiness is about barking the right and the wrong. And really what holiness is for us is a shift from orthodoxy to orthopraxy. Mm. And I just haven't seen that. I just, I, I think that the spirit's doing something right now. The spirit's uh, allowing the church to get small to recenter itself 
and to and to have a platform that's maybe a little bit more firm than what we've established for ourselves in the 21st century, which is humility and service mm-hmm. are at the core of holiness, not loudness and haughtiness and, and self-confidence in, in a theological ideology. I think the last three popes have spoken to that. Mm-hmm. I think we like to pick and choose about the ones that speak to it better, but I actually think the last three have kind of said teaching, preaching, healing. And I'm not sure the laity has listened, um, but clearly the spirit's doing something, Katie, because we wouldn't be, we trust in that. We wouldn't be in this situation if yeah. that wasn't real. But yeah. The gates of hell won't prevail, but ever, you know, ever. Right. And we know that definitively we've got the story of the saints to show us that, but then there's also yeah. that, that doesn't mean that we just get to relax. It doesn't mean that we just get to kind of, oh, okay, well, we'll be fine. Like there is effort that must be put. Um, Doug, where can we find out more about you and ODB films and the work that you're doing? Well, I live in Montana, so we just got electricity. So I'm not really prevalent <laughs> among, along a lot of avenues. Uh, yeah, odbfilms.com. Um, you know, everything's there. Um, we are um, we're in a lot of different places right now. Uh, certainly, we have a beautiful collaboration with our Sunday visitor, OSB. There's a lot of work going on there that's pretty exciting. Um, and uh, and pray for pray for future films to come. Uh, and the success of what our endeavors are. Certainly, we, we hope to accomplish those things in the immediate future. It takes money to make films, um, but we're kind of in the process of those things, and it's exciting. So odbfilms.com, renovalpodcast.com, but it's all the same. It's all connected. Awesome. We'll put that in the show notes. Thank you for your time, Doug. My pleasure. My favorite thing about these interviews is getting to really pick somebody's brain about a subject that they know a lot about. And I think it's pretty obvious that Doug knows a lot about the canonization process, but not only that, Doug knows a lot about what it means to pursue holiness. Doug knows what it means to to strive for holiness himself. I'd encourage you to go look up the work that he's doing with ODB Films. I think you'll be really impressed with the incredible things that they're creating. You know, he said something that there's this really cool element of the canonization process that it's local, that it starts locally, that people who knew that person advocate and tell their story. Later on in the season, uh, we have an interview with Father Robert Boxy. He's a priest of the Archdiocese of Washington, D.C., and he's going to tell us about Sister Thea Bowman, whose cause for canonization is open. Right now, she was a nun from Mississippi, and he is on the commission for her canonization cause. So he's part of that advocacy work, telling her story and, and, and writing to the Vatican and getting um, her life researched and her writings documented so that that process can begin. So that's coming up later in the season, and I don't want you to miss it. So you should subscribe to this podcast on Apple Play, Google Play, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Um, You should subscribe to all of the emails over at AveMariaPress.com, and hopefully you can share it with folks, share it with friends. Say, hey, this was a great episode. I really enjoyed it. Give it a five-star review. Send the link to your mom. Uh, Tweet at Doug and tell him you liked the episode. Tweet at me and tell me what you appreciated. We are really proud of what we're creating at Ave Maria Press with this Ave Explorers series, with all of our series. You can find all six seasons of our podcast wherever you get your shows. Um, And we would just, we'd really love for you to share it because we think... We think that this is good stuff, and we think that talking about the saints, especially now in 2020, is really important. It's been a crazy year. People have been stuck at home. People are scared about getting sick, rightfully so. People are are angry about the way that our country talks about things and and the way that we disagree or, or agree but can't ever seem to be civil about it. How can the saints kind of enter into these crazy moments of our lives and show us how to pursue holiness? 
I think this particular topic is timely now more than ever, and I think that you'll really appreciate all that content that we've created for you. So go to AveMariaPress.com, sign up, get the emails every week. Thanks for listening this week. We'll be back this Friday with a conversation with Maria Johnson about intercession with the saints, and then more content coming in the following weeks. Again, AveMariaPress.com, and you won't miss anything. Thanks for listening.